let's dive in, shall we? Um, so the context of Jesus' birth is quite fascinating. In the first covenant, the prophet Isaiah had foretold that the people who walked in darkness would see a great light. Light is a very powerful theme all throughout the scripture. Uh, as it happens, there were quite a, a few people around the time of Jesus' birth that were looking for this light. They were looking for this deliverer to bring them out of darkness, to bring them into to, to God's light. One such person uh, was Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, it says this, Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation, the hope, the light of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the one that they were waiting hundreds and hundreds of years to see. Moved by his spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So again, this theme of light and darkness is woven all throughout Scripture, so much so you have these biblical characters saying things like light and darkness, revelation and glory, etc., etc. So the interesting thing is, in the early 1700s, there was this thing that came about and started in Europe and then kind of overtook the, the, the globe called the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was catalyzed by uh, Rene Descartes and his Cartesian postulate, I think, therefore I am. I think I have an awareness, I have an understanding, I have thought process, and therefore I'm a human being. I'm an, I'm an aware being. And this kickstarted this enlightenment movement that, as I said, overtook the globe. So when we talk about perceiving in the West, it's a little bit different than when the scriptures talk about perception and, and perceiving new ideas. In the West here, we talk about we learned a new concept, we grasped it with our intellect. When we perceive something new, I think therefore I am the locus of autonomy is here with me. When I understand something, it's because I did it to myself. That's what that Cartesian principle does. It puts everything within my grasp myself. Now, for the Jewish culture, there's a different way of thinking about perceiving things that, that includes this idea of sight. It includes these ideas of light and darkness. There's talk of an unveiling or a revealing when there's a new idea. Something is done and then for, therefore I perceive it, I see it, I behold it. You see, this is, it's, it's, it, it, it may seem just like semantics, but it's a world of difference. In the West, I do it to myself, but in, in the Eastern thought or the, the ancient Near East, something happens outside of me and I see it and behold it. It's done to me. I don't do it to myself when I perceive a new thought, a revelation, or an idea. Okay? So when we, we, we read, and, and it's kind of like the sun go, comes up and we have no control over that. In the East, 
They understand that. The sun comes up and it goes down and I'm not in control of that. The sun shines on me and then it it stops shining on me when it sets, right? They they understand better maybe this understand of this outside locus of control. In the West, we like to be in charge of ourselves and everything around us. And therefore, I like to have new ideas that I come up with on my own and I can trademark and patent and sell and make money off of. When Simeon is talking about beholding something, understanding that he's now enlightened, he's in the light, it's because the Messiah has showed up and God has gifted him this experience. You see, it's subtle, but it makes a world of difference. And the the Jewish culture understood that it was God who, who blessed, who revealed, who unveiled, who gave perception. So when we read Jesus' birth story, told maybe from a different angle, a more poetic, a narrative experience, we need to make sure we can hear it through their way of understanding and perceiving and not our way. So in John chapter 1, verse 1, now I'm going to read this in the message because I really like how Eugene Peterson puts it, it, says this, you may be familiar with this if you grew up in church, the word was first The Word was present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and that life was light to live by. The life, light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what we're calling this series, this series of Advent, where God came near to us. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So this glorious, divine presence, if you remember the Old Testament, the Israels were guided through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud with fire in it, and at night, the fire was uh, lit up their camp, and, and during the day, it guided them throughout the wilderness. It was this life light now that, that was abiding on their tabernacle, on their worship center, has now become a human being. The presence that was external has now come near to them in the person of Jesus Christ. We call that Christmas. We call that the incarnation. The the, uh, unperceivable has now become perceivable in a baby boy named Jesus. God has come near so that we could recognize and understand. And it's not from us doing this for ourselves. It's that God has sent Jesus, his son, to come near to us. And so Jesus, in the book of John, continue on chapter 8, says this. When when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. He clears it up once and for all. I am the life light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So there's two claims being made here that we have to be clear on and we have to really wrestle with. When Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world, he's making a missionary claim. The light isn't to be contained for only a certain people or only a certain geographic area. He is the light of the entire world. He is the light for the entire world. The entire world 
it's, is to come and behold this light. And then secondly, when he says that people will have the light of life, he's making an existential claim. It's in this light there will, will be found meaning and purpose. It's connected to God through Jesus Christ, through which human beings find their meaning and purpose. He is the light of life. And since this light is given from God himself, through God himself, it can never be extinguished. You will never walk in darkness again. So I just like to think just for a moment when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, light is a very powerful metaphor. And just briefly, I want to think about the different ways we interact with light. It interacts with us and how it affects us. First, light illuminates. When light shines, it brightens. And that's what Jesus does. He brightens. He, he makes sense of things. He gives meaning and purpose and perspective. Light, though, also exposes. When one, what was once dark is now brightened, we're shown what is broken, what is gnarled, and what is in need of repair. This isn't always a bad thing. If you ever helped your parents like with some plumbing and you, were, you helped as in you handed the flashlight to them or you held it, like I remember growing up and my dad would work on our cars and I, my job was to hold the light at a certain angle. And when I got bored or my arm got tired, he would say, hey, I need my light. I need you to shine my light so I can fix this thing. It's good to be exposed because when what is in darkness, we don't know what's wrong, right? And the good news, though, is that even though Jesus exposes through his light, he doesn't leave us in our brokenness. The light also sanitizes. Light cleanses. Light removes harmful elements. Light gives, that's, that's why your mom is always telling you, go play outside, kids, get some vitamin D. Light is really good for you, for your body. You need light to live in, in everything that it gives you. Jesus is that same way. Jesus, yes, he exposes, but Jesus also cleanses and sanitizes us. Light warms on a, you know, not necessarily today, but on a cold December day, if we ever have any more of those again. Um, it, it's good when the light comes up and it comes out in the afternoon, it comes out from behind the clouds and it warms you. Jesus does that as well. Jesus brings his light and his warmth. And light beautifies. You know, we see color because of the way that light interacts with objects and how our eyes interpret the different colors. Light beautifies. Light brings beauty, and Jesus brings beauty by the way that he teaches us to interact with the world around us. So those are just a few of the ways. There's probably many more for you creative people. You probably have a list of a dozen more of things that light does to us and for us. Jesus being the light of the world is a powerful metaphor. And I just want to end with this. I'll have the worship team come on up. Uh, Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, so the, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, wrote this poem called Noel. It goes like this. Grim was the world and gray last night. The moon and stars were fled. The hall was dark without song or light. The fires were fallen dead. 
The world was blind, the boughs were bent, all ways and paths were wild. Then the veil of cloud apart was rent, and here was born a child. Glad is the world and fair this night with stars about its head, and the hall is filled with laughter and light, and fires are burning red. The bells of paradise now ring with bells of Christendom, and Gloria, Gloria, we will sing that God on earth is come. so, uh, in, in preparation of this, uh, uh, lighting our candles here, I'll have the candle lighters come on up. What you'll do is, why don't you stand with me, in fact, as, as we get ready for this and prepare ourselves for, for the, the, the in, in worship. Uh, what you'll do is just kind of get your, get your wick ready a little bit here. You might pinch it or twirl it or whatever. Uh, this, Mike and Lynn, thank you to Mike and Lynn, they're going to go on this outside aisle. So if you can kind of move to the, the middle of that aisle, they're going to light on each side, and then you'll pass it down through that uh, through your aisle, okay? So I'm going to pray with, uh, for us, and then I'm going to let them do their thing. So Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming. Even as a baby, we thank you, God, for this time that we're able to celebrate you, to be together, to worship you, and to reflect on how you you are the light of the world. You're the light that brings uh, illumination and warmth and cleansing, God. We we thank you even for your exposing uh, uh, deep, deep and dark things in us so that you can heal them and you can uh, bring about a, a, a total restoration of brokenness. We pray for a a Merry Christmas for everyone here, everyone watching and listening as well. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.